Well, welcome everybody to City Life. I don't know if this is Nate's record. Who wants to take about 400 selfies on it right here? Is that you? Is that you? Oh man, you know in youth ministry you would have ended up with a full memory card full of pictures. But uh, welcome, welcome everybody to City Life. Uh, just to hit on that one more time, it's just an awesome opportunity for all three campuses. So that 300, that that goal is, I mean, honestly, short of what we should have at all three campuses. Those everybody shows up with 37 dollars. We can build a school in Haiti. I mean, that's cool that we can do that in America and have that impact. Really, 37 dollars. It's what, three months of Netflix and a Happy Meal. Like, it's, it's not much. I'm trying to, I don't, nothing came to me. I needed, I needed some help. That should have been a participation moment. What's $37? But uh, anywho, hopefully I'll do better with my actual sermon. We're in a series called Supporting Roles, and we're looking at the Christmas story, and we've been talking about how Jesus, uh, he is at the center of the Christmas story. He should be at the center of the Christmas story, the same way he should be at the center of the church, the same way he should be at the center of all of our lives. He is at the center of the Christmas story. But that's not to say that all the other characters and all the supporting roles, that they're not important. Just last week, we talked about, we hit on supporting actors and actresses, and we tied in movies, and, and last week was called Meet the Parents, and we talked about specifically Joseph. And how in the life of Joseph, it looks like he takes all these detours, these just depressing detours again and again. But through all of that, God was developing him. And it seems like he gets just a couple verses in the Bible, and then he fades into obscurity. But then we realize that our significance is not tied to our prominence or how many shout-outs we get or highlight moments we have. Because what Joseph did, being the father of Jesus, was as significant as any role in the Bible outside of Jesus. But tonight, we're talking about another supporting role. We're looking at the shepherds, and we're simply going to call tonight Arrival. Arrival. Anybody seen the movie yet? Just came out a couple. It was good. I would highly recommend it. Two solid thumbs up from your pastor. It's, it's a sci-fi movie, but it's not just an adventure story. It's, it's a look at humanity. It deals with time, deals with communication, deals with trust, it deals with compassion. It's far more than when you think of a sci-fi movie, you think about warp speed, you think about people shooting lasers at aliens, all this crazy stuff going up in the galaxy. But this is more than your stereotypical sci-fi movie. Why do I say all that? Because with Christmas, I think sometimes we can get caught up in the stereotypical uh, that things that we see, the things that we hear, stay at surface level because most of us, we've probably heard the Christmas story hundreds of times. So it's easy to think, well, I've been there before. I've heard this before. There's nothing new. But how many of you guys know the gospel and God's word? It has more facets than a diamond. And, and you can dig into the Christmas story with new depth and come out with new truths that God wants to speak. So I want to encourage you, not only are we going through this series, but spend some time yourself reading the Christmas story, because I believe God has something for each one of us every Christmas that's going to help us grow and draw closer to him. But tonight we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. And it doesn't just speak of the arrival of another kind, although it does. The angels, they come and they speak to the shepherds. It speaks to the arrival of the Messiah. It's close encounters with the third kind and a baby announcement all in one, right? People get creative with baby announcements. I really wanted to show just some video. They are, they're all like movie previews now, everything from comedy to horror. And I was like, man, I just want to find one and show one. But just trust me, you can waste about 30 minutes to an hour watching these creative baby announcements online. Um, and then there's just there's pictures. And uh, some of them are getting played out like there's the... Uh, Two bags of ice and then the, the pregnant woman, right? Ice, ice baby. 
Uh, there's, the, uh, there's the child crying in his crib holding a sign that says he's about to be evicted because baby number two's on the way. There's one where I've seen it multiple times where, like, the baby's dressed up as Mario or they're holding a, a, a remote control for a video system, and it says player two is on the way or player three, four, five, however big the family is. But anybody ever get creative with their baby announcement? Denise. I can see that. Wayne, was that your, your genius? Nice, nice. <laughs> Anybody else get creative with, with their birth announcement, gender reveal, anything like that? Emily. Yep, that was memorable. I remember that. When I was putting this in here, I was like, yep, the Lees did something. But Luke 2, verses 8 through 20, it's, uh, it is the birth announcement that the angels give the shepherds. And we're going to read it real quick. Again, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through verse 20. If you got your phone, you can swipe there, but there's also Bibles in your pews, one of the benefits of being here at Faith Lutheran. But in verse 8, it says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angels reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring you great joy, or excuse me, bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened. And what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angels had told them. Now we're going to hit on this a little bit more next week. But I love when you read that story. You realize that the guest book that God had for his son's birth, it included outsiders. It included who you might call those people, right? The unclean shepherds, the Gentile magi. These were the people that came to visit Jesus after his birth. And it makes me think of 1 Corinthians 1.27, where it says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when the Lord called you. Instead, God chose those things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And again, we're going to hit on this more next week when we talk about the Magi. But what we should take away from this verse today and day after day is that when we look down our nose at others, when we set ourselves up above others, we're setting ourselves up to be shamed. It's funny that Jesus, he shared some of his harshest words. He saved some of his harshest words for the self-righteous. But even before Jesus could speak, God was low-key dissing the religious leaders of that day by not revealing himself to them, but revealing himself to these blue-collar, ordinary shepherds. That's who he announced his arrival to and invited them to come see it. 
So tonight we're looking at those shepherds. And I, I love in this passage where it says, excuse me, says the, the glory of the Lord surrounded them. New Living Translation talks about the radiance of the Lord's glory. Another translation, again, says glory of the Lord. And of the Lord, it denotes supernatural power. So we're talking about light that was just otherworldly, the kind of light show where you close your eyes and it's still going on on your eyelids, or the kind of just ambiance and energy that makes all the hairs in your arms stand on end. Like it was of the Lord. It was supernatural. And again, these shepherds, they were blue-collar workers. They were ordinary Joes. There might have been some four-letter words dropped when all of a sudden the sky opened up and they're just startled by this power. And it's funny because you think about it from a marketing standpoint, this is lousy. Like, this is announcing something big to people working construction on the highway at like 2 in the morning. This is what that compares to in modern times. And this is what God chose to do. And I love that this res- the response to the, the next level light show was that they were terrified. Who wouldn't be, right? No doubt they were thinking these an- this angel shows up and he's about to say, today is your judgment day, right? But no, he shares great hope. But why this fear of God's judgment well, in addition to the, to the obvious, you have to take note of the shepherd's occupation. You know, shepherds had to deal with the daily, nitty-gritty details of caring for all of these sheep. Now, I love the outdoors. I love animals. I love pets. You know, keeping the animals indoors, but I don't ever want to own one, right? We tried that. Didn't work. <laughs> but uh, I enjoy playing with pets. 15, 20, 30 minutes, almost like I enjoy playing with, with babies, right? But then once the baby gets wound up, I'm like, in his bed, so I'm like, here, have fun, right? After I've, I've fed all your kids uh, sugary things at youth ministry when I was a youth pastor, here, have fun with them now. So pray for me, right? Pretty soon we're going to have one of our own. I'm not going to be able to hand, hand the baby back after uh, it, it dirties its diaper. Like, hey, here you go. No, stuff's going to go, here you go. So pray for me. But as if <laughs> shepherds didn't have to deal with just, just one animal, they had to deal with a bunch. And as if I, I wouldn't have had enough problem with that, even religion at, at the time, it had beef with shepherds. Because when you look at shepherds, they, they had a hard time keeping the religious purity and all those religious rules that were set up by the religious leaders of their day, as these religious leaders defined it. Like, you can't just leave sheep on Sunday to go observe the Sabbath. It was tough for shepherds. And the very distinction of clean versus unclean was an important one for standards of worship in that day. And if you were unclean, that meant you couldn't go into the temple to worship. And shepherds, they were unclean by the very nature of their job. Again, dealing with these sheep. And what's especially ironic is that these shepherds outside of Jerusalem, the ones that the angels appeared to, were probably watching over the same sheep that would go into the temple that they couldn't go into to be sacrificed as a part of worship. You think about it, every day they were reminded that they weren't good enough. They were reminded they lived under constant siege of what made them unclean and disqualified them from going into the temple to worship. And you know, in a lot of ways, we live with a proverbial flock of sheep. Things that have maybe happened to us, things that maybe we've walked through, things that maybe we've done that make us feel disqualified that remind us when we think of them, they give us a a twinge of of guilt. So a question for you tonight is what's in your flock? Is it guilt? Is it regret? Is it embarrassment? Is it confusion? Is it shame? 
Is it disappointment? What tries to remind you that you aren't good enough, that you've somehow disqualified yourself? Because what's powerful about the announcement that they received is that Jesus came as the Lamb of God that would make these flocks irrelevant in order to worship God. Sure, sheep were still relevant. We're wearing some sweaters tonight that might have wool in them. But in terms of worshiping God, those sheep became irrelevant. It says in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 1, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Come on, that's powerful. That Jesus, the sacrificial lamb of God, he made those flocks irrelevant. He eliminated any hoops that we have to jump through to come into his presence. The list of religious requirements that those religious leaders had made, all of a sudden, they didn't get in the way anymore. You know, he's the treasure in the field that we ditch our flocks to go see and praise. And I love the way that the shepherds, they just took off running. There was no debate, like, all right, who's going to stay back and watch the sheep? Let's rock, paper, scissors for it. No, everybody just took off. They ran, and they went to see this sign that the angels talked about. They didn't treat it as an untimely interruption, which they could have, like, I'm trying to do my job here. I can't go just take off. No, they saw it as an invitation, and they ran after it. You know, the bottom line is they were available. And the lesson we need to learn tonight is, is to stop asking ourselves, am I able? And start asking ourselves, am I available? Am I making myself available to the God I know is able? You know, ultimately, am I able? It doesn't matter. Because even if we aren't able, we serve a God who is. Right? And so many of the dreams and purposes that he's going to call us to, not only as individuals, but as a church and a collective body of believers and a family of faith, they're going to be outside of our ability. And it's going to give God glory because of that. And when, again, you think about it, the shepherds, they weren't the most able people to spread an announcement. They spent their time out on the hills outside of the city away from people. They didn't have a platform. They didn't have thousands of followers on social media. They had no voice. These weren't men of influence in their town. But they're a powerful reminder that God isn't as concerned with our ability as he is our availability. Now, God is concerned with our ability. He's big enough for both. It's not to say that he's not concerned with our ability, only our availability. He created us with those abilities we have. And so often those abilities will set the course for God's purposes in our lives because he shapes us a certain way. But it's our availability that sets us apart. There might be people with similar abilities that haven't made themselves available to be used by God. That's what sets people apart. But you know, we so often take constants for granted. Like when's the last time you thought, man, gravity is so cool? Never? Like, man, what would I do without gravity? Thank God for gravity. When's the last time you thought about oxygen? Like, man, oxygen is great. Not often enough. <laughs> Thank God for the breath in my lungs. Time, you know, we watch a clock, but so often we take time for granted as it flies by. And sometimes it's the issue with God. He's constant. His grace is constant. His love is constant. His mercy is constant. And, you know, with stimuli in life, with sights, sounds, and smells, when they first hit us, we, we notice them. But after a while, they kind of fade to the background. Like you turn a fan on to sleep. You hear it when you turn it on, but then it just kind of 
sets an ambiance and fades to the background. That's called, uh, what psychologists call this is intentional blindness. And that's why Christmas can be so powerful. Because our traditions, they mean unplugging from rushed routines and discovering the joy of family, friends, relationships, and all these other constants that fade to the background. (laughs) At least it should be, right? Some of y'all are laughing like, yeah, I wish. For most of us, (laughs) it can be a blur of decorating, shopping, cooking, inviting, attending, more in tune with, with panic playing catch-up and keeping a frenetic pace than preparing our hearts for this Prince of Peace and this peace on earth. You know, just practical advice for this season. I love that Emily hit on this during worship already. You know, some of us, a to-do list is important. I keep a to-do list on my phone 24-7. But some of us need a stop-doing list. Things that are just filling up time that we need to give to God so that we can be available. Because if you look in the dictionary, in the thesaurus, and you look at the opposite of available... The antonym of available, that word is busy. You know, if we just got really honest right now and said, hey, if you think you're too busy and it's hurting your relationship with God, there'd probably be more hands in here than we'd like to think because we're all busy. You know, the way you speed up your growth is to slow down and make room for God. The way you'll speed up your growth spiritually is by slowing down and finding room for God again. So that's why the the pathway that we talk about fasting is so powerful. Now, fasting food during the holidays, that can be uh, close to impossible, right? Thanksgiving through Christmas, fasting is is tough. But you can fast other things, media, TV, social media, Facebook, whatever it is that kind of just fills the gaps. Fast that, give that to God, and, and see him begin to speak because you're making yourself available. How many of us, Jesus comes and knock on the door of our lives, and just like his family's knocked on the door of that inn, there's just no room for him because we're so busy. You know, as it is with Jesus when he grew up, it's also with us where moments for evangelism, opportunities to share, they often aren't planned. <laughs> They're often spur of the moment. They're often seeming interruptions if we're not living with the right perspective and the right pace. And again, I love that these shepherds, they, they took off running. They didn't treat it as an interruption. They ran after the invitation because first and foremost, they were available. You know, when we make it first and foremost about our ability, it's when things get haywire. Again, I love that Emily even hit on Moses during worship. Because you look at Moses. <laughs> this guy had one of the most amazing callings in the Bible. To deliver the Israelites out of generations of slavery, take them to the promised land. This beautiful picture that's prophetic of what Jesus does for us spiritually. And he almost derailed that entire destiny because he was consumed with his own ability. You look at the burning bush, he makes excuses again and again due to what he thought was his lack of ability until God just gets frustrated, gets livid. It's angry. It's funny because I might have shared this here before. I had that loosely prophesied over my own life that, hey, this is like Moses at the burning bush. Because I was so consumed with what I thought was my lack of ability that I couldn't be called to ministry because I don't have the ability. But I had to get over that. I remember it wasn't at a burning bush. It was Pastor Fred at Applebee's in Williamsburg once. was like, do you see yourself called to ministry? I was like, nope, because I didn't think I had the ability. And it was years later where I was like, Fred, you remember that question? I had gotten over myself and realized I'm never going to have all the ability I need. But if I make myself available to the God who is more than able, he can use me, he can use us, he can use this church. Amen. But second, it gets messy when we think we have the ability. 
That's why God's baby announcement, again, it went to the shepherds and not to the kings and religious leaders of the day because the shepherds, they could receive this humbly. Jesus would go on to say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Speaking to humility. Do we recognize that we're even broken and we need this Savior King? Are we broken? There's this question we see in society. Are we intrinsically fallen or are we intrinsically good? Like, do we come out of the womb broken or do we come out of the womb innocent and then things just screw us up? And you can look at our culture and its stories and its movies and books and fiction and see this played out in various ways. How many of you had to read Lord of the Flies in school, right? Lord of the Flies is one of the most prominent. It shows the brokenness present even at a young age. You know, it's so funny when we talk about being born intrinsically good, people point to youth. It's like, man, go serve in the nursery for two months, right? You'll come out maybe with a changed perspective, like, yeah, we come out broken. <laughs> but there's also in, in, in life, in fiction, these, these pictures of, of dystopian corruption. But out there somewhere is this still pristine, uh, utopian place. Kind of like you look at Tarzan in the jungle, Pocahontas in the forest. Any remember Fern Gully? Fern Gully? Yeah, all right, good. Some of y'all just, like, got slapped by nostalgia. Others are like, what? Right? Bring it more recent, Avatar. I remember Avatar when it came out. I don't remember what year, but I was in youth ministry, and, and CNN had this article that detailed the Avatar blues, like this depression that hit people after watching the movie. You can Google it. It's everywhere from Urban Dictionary to CNN, right? There's a CNN article about it. And it said on the fan forum site, Avatar Forums, the topic thread entitled, Ways to Cope with the Depression of the Dream of Pandora Being Intangible. It's received more than 1,000 posts from people experiencing depression and fans trying to help them cope. The topic became so popular last month that the forum administrator had to create a second thread so people could continue to post their confused feelings about the movie. Here's just a couple examples of ways people are coping. Here's a quote from one of the people. I just watched Avatar a few weeks ago, and I'm feeling depressed and sad. It's like I want to reach out and be in Pandora, this planet, this utopian place in the movie. I'd do anything to be in Pandora. I've tried so hard to dream about me being on Pandora, but it hasn't worked. Ever since I went to see Avatar, I've been depressed. Watching the wonderful world of Pandora and all the Navi made me want to be one of them. I can't stop thinking about all the things that happened in the film and all the tears and shivers I got from it. I even contemplate suicide thinking that if I do it, I will be rebirthed in a world similar to Pandora. Now, in no way am I poking fun at depression, but I'm pointing to this clear realization that we all have, but we sometimes don't like to admit that our world is no utopia, that there is no man, and and mankind is far from perfection personified. And if we persist in asking, am I able, we may not like the answer. There's no perfect person. And there's therefore no hope to build some humanly engineered utopia here on earth. But it doesn't stop many from trying. You look at kings and the religious leaders and people who self-righteously thought that they could just build the ticket to life. When Jesus came, they saw Jesus as a threat. When King Herod found out about Jesus' birth, he wanted to kill him. And ultimately, it wasn't the government. It wasn't King Herod that killed Jesus. It was the religious leaders of the day. It was the self-righteous, the rich in spirit. You know, there's a a poem Invictus by William Ernest Henley. It's a popular one. It's the chorus of kings and people that seek to rule their lives, stepping into this humanistic chorus that I'm the master of my fate 
and the captain of my soul. It's inspiring. It's well written, right? It's true in small doses too. Like I can, I can go to the gym, get in great shape. I can master my body, but one disease can knock me out. I can accumulate wealth, and I can accumulate everything Steph and I need, but one perfect storm can knock that out. You know, we look, objective evidence shows that we're not really masters of much. But Pharaohs, Herods, all throughout the Bible, that they would see a king as competition. Jesus coming as an invasion, as a threat. And in a way, he is. You know, the Romans didn't have beef with Christians because they worshiped a God. There were, all, there were hundreds of gods that the Romans worshiped. They were mad at the Christians, and they persecuted Christians because they believed in one God and one truth. You know, we live in a similarly pluralistic society where, where everybody's like, cool, you got a God? Cool. Just make sure he doesn't talk to me and my gods about how we live our life because I'm master of this ship and I'm captain of this soul. You know, C.S. Lewis said that there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. You know, Christ, he offers peace. He offers life. But only to those who are willing to relinquish control and give up the captain's seat. Luke 12, 52. <laughs> I love that Jesus, to his disciples later, he asked them this question. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? And I, they were like, well, man, I remember what the shepherds said because they told the story. Isn't that what the angels said from the sky? So I'm going to go with yes, right? But Jesus says, no, I tell you, but division. So is this a contradiction? <laughs> if you look at what the angels said, it's peace on earth with whom God is pleased. And if you keep reading through the Bible, you get to Hebrews. You get to Hebrews chapter 11 where it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And those that believe, have faith, must believe that God rewards those who diligently seek him. You know, there are some self-righteous folks who, when they think they're the captain of their own soul, they don't need to seek God. They won't seek God. They don't seek God. It's in John 3, 19, where it says the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. And when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus and Simeon prophesied over him, he says, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And many did because they saw him as a threat. You know, again, Jesus comes, he comes with peace, peace that's available as a result of our choice. Again, God is less concerned with our ability than our availability because how many know God is able, right? He has all the ability he needs. The one ability that he gave up out of love is to decide for us. Out of love, he gave us free will, the ability to either choose him or reject him, the gift of choice. So we have to ask ourselves, what's my choice? What's my response to Jesus coming? Because he didn't just come to be born in a manger. He came to die as, again, the sacrificial lamb of God, to, to not only take our sin, but to be our Savior King. And you have to ask yourself, what's my response? Because the very word available, you look at the breakdown, you look at the etymology, it means able to avail. Just flip it backwards. Capable of being made use of. You think of in, in the book of James, it says, the prayers of the righteous man avail much. They bring about a response. So what was the response of the shepherds? The first response we, view from the, we see from the shepherds is in this verse where it says, after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them 
about this child. They, they ran and told that, right? They shared what had happened and how God had worked, and they told people. And why don't we do that more often? You know, if I'm honest, sometimes it feels more like a chore or something on my to-do list than an invitation and an opportunity. And I think the reason we sometimes struggle with this is, is key. You look at the, the shepherds just verses later. It says they went back to their flocks glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. You want to put a little life in your witness? <laughs> Glorify and praise God with your life. Re- reflect on what he's done and you'll find joy. And you know what? If you try to be a witness without joy, nobody's going to want what you're selling anyways. Because the joy of the Lord, it needs to be our strength. That's the second response we need. It's an essential fruit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It should be one of the first fruits. Again, you look at Matthew 13, 44. When the man finds the treasure in the field in this parable, it says, with joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys the field. Not out of drudgery or obligation, but with joy. I love in Philippians 1.25, Paul says to the church, knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith, the joy of our faith. And I think we'd confess the same, that our faith should have joy, right? We would come to church and we say, God is good all the time. Thank you. I'm going to do that call and response a lot here. God is good all the time, right? We confess it with our lips. We believe it, but how many of us live like it all the time? That's, that gets a little more tough. You know, we confess that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We sang about it in these songs we sang tonight, but sometimes we live borderline schizo. We're, we're one day, we're one way, the next day we're another, and then we blame it on waking up on the wrong side of the bed. If that's my excuse, <laughs> then it's a lame excuse and I'm too immature to really live and have my feelings follow me instead of following my feelings. Right? Joy is supposed to be a fruit of the Spirit. What good is joy if it can be robbed by a bad day or circumstance? It says that these shepherds, they went back to their flocks. And I think that's powerful because they went back to the same circumstance they came from. But they were energized with joy because they had met Jesus. Their rejoicing, it wasn't based on circumstance because, again, their circumstances were the same. You know, there's this flawed but persistent theory in the church that once you come to Christ, your life is on an upward trajectory from here on out. That all of a sudden everything's going to be hunky-dory and just get better and better and better till we go to heaven. You know, Christmas promises this in bundles. (laughs) That if you had this, your joy would be complete. If you just had this car, you'd be set. This phone, this computer, whatever it is they're trying to sell, the message in the commercials is, man, if you just had this, you'd have happiness and joy. But again, we get that, that Christmas hangover afterwards when you realize this fulfills me for a time, but not eternally. You know, I went to NISM years ago. It's the New York School of Urban Ministry. Anybody here on that trip? Maybe. Hey, my wife. Yep. <laughs> New York School of Urban Ministry. We went up there to do construction, about a dozen of us, to work in the school with Dale Stevens. But we also went out under the streets to minister to the homeless. And I remember going out there, and you just think, man, what am I going to have in common with this person where I can have a conversation and share Jesus with them? And it's so funny because we got off the bus, and I walk up to an individual and just start talking. We had so much in common. The guy loved to draw. He loved art. He spent, like, his late teenage years in, in, around D.C. Where, where I was spending my late teenage years, and he loved the Redskins, so we talked about what's wrong with them because there's always something wrong with them. But what, was, what we didn't have in common was our childhood because he lived up in, or he grew up in Sierra Leone. He was dirt poor, 
and he was destitute. So he was talking about his current situation. He's like, man, I have, I have shoes on my feet. I'm blessed. You know, his problem, he was saying, man, man, my problems here are a blessing to somebody in Sierra Leone where he had grown up. And we always had to remember that our little problems come from our huge blessings. You know, our roof has a leak. We have a home, right? Our car broke down. We have a car which puts us in like the top 8% of the world. The enemy would love for us to get so caught up in our problems that we lose our focus and we lose our perspective. You know, to establish this stronghold that so many have succumbed to of discontent. Just discontent. So many with an inability to be grateful and glad about where we are. Because we're always wanting more. A lack of contentment. A lack of the ability to recognize God's generosity and grace. People more dialed into what they don't have than what they do have. I think a lot of us have been sucked into this culture of keeping up with the Joneses where we want to be able to get that too so we can say, me too. Ultimately, it robs us of gladness, gratitude, and the ability to rejoice in the midst of God's gifts. Why do I hit on this? Why even go here? Because ultimately, it robs us of our availability. You know, a constant focus on what we don't have keeps us from asking the question, God, how do you want to use me through what I do have? God, what, what can you do through me with what I have in my hand? You know, for the shepherds, it wasn't much at all, but they were available. They found Christ and joy fueled their evangelism. You know, if we found Christ, let's not live in forgetfulness of what Christ has done. Let's not become blind to his constant love, his constant grace, and his constant mercy. Shift your focus off your flock. Again, what's in your flock tonight? If I could actually have the worship team come up. Again, the shepherds, they spent their time surrounded by the things that disqualified them or, or told them that they were disqualified, told them, you're unclean, God can't use you. What's in your flock tonight? What tries to hold you back when God calls you forward? What tries to tell you you can't when you're more than qualified? Again, Jesus made that flock irrelevant. When it came to worship, stepping into his presence, because of Jesus' sacrifice, those flocks became irrelevant. There was no more hoops to jump through. There was only a cross to, to go to. So tonight, if you need grace, tonight, if you need hope, tonight, if you need mercy, if you need the Holy Spirit to anoint you, give you strength, give you boldness in your witness, man, just remember, we aren't able in and of ourselves. We never will be, never will be, to save ourselves, to master our fate, to captain our soul, let alone save others. In our own strength, we won't be able to, but Christ is. So let's stop constantly asking the question, man, am I able, and just begin to ask the question, have I made myself available to the God who is more than able at all times to use me to reach anybody that he would call me to reach? So tonight, again, as we did before, let's stand. We're going to go into worship, and we have a time. We've got time left on the back end to make ourselves available to God. And again, to be available is to listen and respond. So maybe in these next couple minutes, all you're going to do is, is listen. Say, God, I want to open the door of my heart so that you can step into the room. And God, change the atmosphere, change my perspective. God, change these doubts. Get rid of these things I need to lay at the altar. And if God's calling you to respond in that way, the altar's open. But we're going to make ourselves available to God here. We're going to worship. 
Jesus, I do thank you. God, we thank you. God, that your sacrifice means that we can come to the cross and be honest. That none are perfect. All have fallen. But God, we thank you that Jesus came so we could stand before the cross and receive grace, receive mercy. God, that doesn't just cover us, but it calls us. It calls us to a response. So tonight, God, we want to make ourselves available to listen and respond. But God, right now we respond in worship and praise. We bless your name. We magnify Jesus. God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the blood. We cling to it. We look to it. We need it every day like the air we breathe. We need it like gravity. We need it like oxygen, God. We need your forgiveness daily, God. So we come before your cross tonight and we worship you.